Expounded Universe, Season 6, Episode 6, The End of Star's End. The book, Han Solo, at Star's End. The year, 1979. The author, Brian Daly. That's in the right order. With your hosts, Jeff and John. Let's go. Welcome back to Expounded Universe Wrap-Up Edition, where we talk about the end of a book. I'm Jeff. That's John. That intro made sense. Don't worry about it. No one, no one, no one worry about it. No one's first episode is the end of one of these books. It's fine. You're always on me for introducing us at the beginning of these things. That's just radio discipline. Uh, it's, radi- it's radio discipline, but it's not podcast discipline. Okay, that's fair. You know what? You're right. If we want to get this podcast onto good games done quick or whatever, we're going to need to shave those precious seconds. Hell yeah. You know, you can save several minutes on this podcast if I clip through my laptop. (laughs) I'm going to enter my name as open bracket 424 close bracket, and that'll just warp us to the end. I've been Elan Sleaze Bagiano. (laughs) Error. And... That's how you instantly beat that. You know, it's funny. I, I feel like I'm making fun of of uh, GDQ, but I actually really like that. It's one. It, it's one of my favorite things to just sort of zone out to on YouTube. Well, it's just some guy who who's impossibly good at some. He'll be like, "All right, uh, okay, we're gonna do a speed run today of Boogerman Two for the Sega Genesis. Uh, not a lot of speed runners in this category. I will. Ne- I will absolutely murder this game in 44 seconds. Go. <laughs> my my favorite thing about watching that, and I have only ever seen it when I'm over at your place, because there's no way I would ever put that on, you know, voluntarily. You watch worse shit on YouTube all the time, but don't pretend you don't. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing is when they start getting into the meta commentary of like, well, there's some debate on what the best option is for here, if you should try and jump here or if you should try and run. Because if you jump, there's a slight chance that you'll actually get hit, and then it'll waste three seconds. Yeah, I I love it when they're like, okay, and at this point, he is going to attempt to do a triple jump, an exceptionally difficult, oh, he did it, okay. And then everyone in the audience is like, yay, that looked exactly like you were still just playing more Axe Lay. (laughs) (laughs) I would say the only thing that that usually the person running the actual like the person playing the game is the least important piece of the puzzle as to whether or not one of those old videos is going to be entertaining. It's the primary couch guy, the one who's going to be doing most of the talking. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying is. Yeah. The the one who's doing the talking and saying like, oh, yeah, this is a known strategy that you want to do this. This is contested. And then talking about like the history of speedrunning for, you know, shit like Barbie's mall adventure. <laughs> and sometimes they're insightful and interesting, and sometimes they're droning and boring, and that is the difference between good and bad podcasting as well. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you'll have some guys, and they'll just be droning on about some shit that doesn't matter at all. <laughs> and then they'll do that for six years. <laughs> There we go. I got us both in the blast. Good. All right. So uh, so how are you, John? I haven't seen you in a couple of uh, forever. In a couple months. 
Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I had a nap today, and all I've eaten are chocolate chip cookies, so. <laughs> <laughs> Proper quarantine life. That's have the quarantine. Mu- <laughs> have you mutated yet? <laughs> have you awoken as a giant bug? <laughs> that would be very Kafkaesque if you did that. It would. <laughs> So, anyway, we read Han Solo at Star's End, didn't we? Oh, we certainly did. It was, uh, I mean, this has basically been a, like, a half season. Yeah, well, I really wanted to try and do a Star Wars short story at least once. Yeah, I mean, it was good. It was nice to have a very, like, quick, self-contained, to-the-point story, unlike the rambling garbage that we normally wade through. It's true. It it felt interesting to not to have a story that didn't have any side plots that didn't split it. Well, I mean, it even split the main characters up and then it just didn't follow Chewbacca. Yeah, it was like, oh, no, Chewbacca got taken. But this is a story about Han Solo. So whatever. <laughs> Meanwhile, we check in with Chewbacca. No, you know what? We don't because it's more narratively tense if we don't tell you what's going on with him. Yeah. I mean, especially given that what's going on with him is Chewbacca was in stasis. Nothing was happening. Yeah, eventually. First, he killed a bunch of guys and probably got a little, like, tortured, but not too tortured. A little torture. Light torture. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just a spritz of torture around the edges. (laughs) Like, exactly enough torture to put a nice crust on top of the torture creme brulee. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You just sprinkle that Wookiee in sugar. And then give him some light torturing. You don't want to. You don't want to burn the Wookiee necessarily. You want to kind of crisp the Wookiee. <laughs> uh, okay, so I might have been spending all of my last couple of weeks watching cooking shows. That's possible. There's a there's a chance. There's a non-zero chance that you may have been watching Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. I'm not gonna lie. I did not realize exactly how much like penetration that had into the cultural zeitgeist of the world until I watched it myself. And then I realized I was seeing references to it everywhere. (laughs) I mean, chances are it's just because I watched like eight different YouTube chefs at this point and all of them are completely up their own or not up their own. They're, they're all completely in thrall of Brad Leone. Like everybody loves Brad Leone. Hmm. As far as I can tell, Brad's just a dude who wants to ferment things and eat fermented things. (laughs) I mean, you gotta have a goal in life. <laughs> he's like this. I'm, I think he's supposed to be like. Well, not supposed to be. It's not like he's a fictional character. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's New Jersey in because his accent is ridiculous, and they make fun of him on his own show for it constantly for saying "water" instead of "water" and so on. Yeah. Uh, but every other chef has like a Bradleyoni tattoo hidden on them somewhere. <laughs> Great. I mean, I get it. The dude's got some serious, gross, funky fermented egg chops ah the egg chops you got you got me talking about this now because you mentioned because you mentioned it yeah i i I definitely have become completely addicted to youtube cooking shows yeah man i get it i mean i I don't do it but i get it i never even liked good mythical morning but i have latched on to good mythical kitchen because i for whatever reason that's the one that resonated with me well yeah i mean i liked good mythical morning for the dumb nonsense that they would do but a lot of the very good episodes hinge on their kitchen guy making weird stuff yeah yeah so i figured why not why not cut out the middleman and just watch their kitchen guy make weird stuff and that's pretty much where i needed to be yeah 
Otherwise, I feel like uh, Good Mythical Morning is basically like a live-action, long-form life hacks show where they're just like, let's put something in pool water for no reason. Huh. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not digging it quite as much. It's just, hey, let's make a crazy food. Yeah, man. I get it. It's fine. You get it. You're up to speed. That's cool. Uh, maybe we should talk about the book. I don't know. Meh. Nah. No one cares about that fucking book. It's good. It's a good book. It's good. It was a good short story. I loved it. I I almost find myself grumpy because we're not going to do the next story in the series next. Oh, I'm not grumpy. I want to continue the adventures of Bollocks and Blue Max. I'm pretty sure those two actually do stick around. That would be amazing. I'm not 100% sure. It might just be Han and Chewie at the end of this. But I feel like Bollocks and Blue Max make another, make another appearance at the very least. Word. And one of these has them hang out with a dude who's like a big caterpillar, and the other one has them hang out with a dude who's like a like an otter. So <laughs> either way, I'm I'm down for it, and I want to read more about it. Good, very good. I'm but we're not, I'm slightly we're not gonna... distracted because the Nicolas Cage pillow in my room has <laughs> been folded in such a way that the face is normal, but the nose is missing, and it's just distracting me. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, long-time listeners will know that that's a, that's a Christmas present I gave John several years ago uh, that is a picture of Nicolas Cage accompanied by the uh, remarkably interesting phrase, see you in my dreamy. Yep. <laughs> uh, the best use for Nicolas Cage nowadays, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Mandy was good. Also of interest, the uh, <laughs> Everett, the three-year-old that is also in my house, Mm-hmm. Well, every time he sees the pillow, he's like, that's Uncle John. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I should be insulted by this. Like, I mean, really, what it, you should be a little put off that you're missing out on owning like 18 castles or whatever the fuck. Well, I mean, he doesn't even have a beard. Like, come <laughs> on, kid. <laughs> you're three. I get it. But come on. I mean, we're all three once for about a year, and all of us spend all of our time mislabeling Nicolas Cage. All of us. Mm-hmm. But especially Nicolas Cage. That's <laughs> uh, true. Uh, my kid, uh, Sage, the two-year-old who lives in my house, has been asking about you recently. Oh. She's been like, John, John, where's... She didn't say where's, because she doesn't quite have that level of syntax yet. But she's like, John, John, John here? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. So, so she misses you because uh, you were one of the few people that was in the house on the regular. Oh, yeah. I was a staple over there. Now yeah. I have disappeared. Yes. In her little mind, you're just gone. Yeah. She's, she's irritated about it. I'm up and vanished. Yeah. So uh, what can we learn about this book that separated it from previous books that we may have read on the show? First of all, I feel like a big thing that made this book good, and it's unfortunate because it's not something we can do again, is that it exists pre- the big engine of explaining everything in Star Wars. Yeah, because even if, you know, a more modern writer were to sit down and be like, okay, I want to write a story in Star Wars. I don't want to just have it be, you know, a lot of the same cliches. The problem is they've made so many cliches canon that -hmm. you cannot deviate from that it's very hard to try and navigate that field. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. There's you have you have to have someone say I've got a bad feeling about this. You've you've got to have someone say may the force be with you. You've got to have a a bad guy who's 
either a Jedi or, or a Sith or a nascent Sith or knew the Emperor or Vader in some deep and personal way? I mean, for me, it's mostly the thing that I liked about this was the lack of established alien races and stereotypes. Yeah, it was pretty much just Triani, which they, they made up on the spot in this book. Yeah, and even then, they weren't like, oh, yes, all Triani are whatever. They were like, oh, yeah, the, uh, this kid's basically like a cool acrobat, and his mom is a ranger. <laughs> all and... Triani are the yellow rangers, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> uh, no, it, it made a lot. I mean, they made interesting sense and fit right in, even though they were not in there for more than like, a, you know, a couple pages. Yeah. And... That's one of those things that you kind of can't get away with anymore because you can't just say like, ah, oh, there was a dude with whole hooves and, and some sort of squid guy over there. You kind of have to be like, all right, well, there was an Ugnaught and there was a Gamorrean. And mm -hmm. There's a scene in the last two chapters of the book where the prisoners are all uprising on the Star's End prison facility. And a character described only as a demonic-looking alien shrieks, charges, and is shot down. Yes. And I was like, oh, thank God. Just a demon-y-looking guy? That is great. I don't have to hear that he's... A Deveronian? That, a Deveronian. I don't have to hear about it and know that he has a extra-fast digestive system, so he poops pretty much meat. That's so good for me that I don't need to know about that. Yeah. Or, or that it's... one in 50 of them have retractable teeth. <laughs> it's the problem of... Any given, like, popular work that has been around for long enough and has enough written about it that you're going to get just an overload of information that not only doesn't matter to the setting, but is going to end up ruining it. And, you know, the classic example being wizards would just shit on the ground and poof it away. <laughs> I always... She... The uh, I haven't read the original tweet that Rowling put up about that. I always thought it was just they took care of their business and then magicked it away. And I always wondered if they were supposed to be just pulling up their robes and just shitting where they were walking. Or do they just dump their robes and then blast that out of the way? <laughs> do they just dump it, do it right in their pants? What are we doing here? Do you think they're, do you think they're copping a squat or do you think they just shit while they walk? I mean, I assume it's a squat, because the whole thing was about how, like, oh, the modern toilet didn't exist until very recently, and they would just <laughs> sort of, like, crap and then vanish it to somewhere. But the, the, the thing before the modern toilet did exist before the modern toilet. Even if it was just a bowl in a room, it existed. Yeah, you'd think that they would have something more sophisticated than that. I mean, you've got the whole flu powder thing. You'd mm -hmm. think you'd have a place where you're like, oh, I shit in this bowl, and then I press a button, and it, like, flu powders away to some dump somewhere. I mean, I kind of get it. I would probably prefer to take dumps on the ground and just use magic on them than, like, deal with the crying girl teenager that haunts my bathroom. I think that's right. Is that right? Is that where Moaning Myrtle was? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I just don't want it. I'd rather poop alone, even if it's just in a corner somewhere, than be like, hey, Myrtle, I'm going to take a big dump. Please don't comment on it. Ooh, look at your dump. <laughs> I'm ha I'm just a ghost and I can smell that. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I... <laughs> 
there's a lot of stuff like that 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 kind of permeates the Harry Potter. I think one of my favorites is that there's something. I think in the first or two books or so, they make a reference to the belief or to the fact that you can't use your wand to make food out of nowhere. It has to come from somewhere. Uh, and then by the end of the books, you've got like Mrs. Weasley just dumping Alfredo sauce out of her wand. Uh. And it's just like ah, fuck it. it it's a I always felt like the the Harry Potter series had a lot of flanderization as it went along. And the problem is, to get back to the original point, is yeah. there's going to be someone that will look at that and go, oh, but here's the explanation for why you can do that. Mm-hmm. And that happens so much in Star Wars where they have to be like, oh, well, this didn't make sense. Well, here's a giant explanation for why it does. <laughs> It's funny because I don't see that in the books as often as you would hope, but it definitely crops up in the movies all the time where you've got like, oh, Han Solo and The Long Weekend. Isn't it crazy how everything that I ever talked about that seemed to happen to me in my past took place over two days? <laughs> or the uh, the Emperor one where he had to give this big convoluted reason why Snoke was, was sort of important but not really important. <laughs> I've got a whole tank of Snokes. <laughs> I got a pack of Snokes here. Snoke him if you got him, I always say. Where did you go, the Emperor? You've been gone for like three movies. Well, I stepped out one day for a pack of Snokes. I went down to Pismo to get some Snokes. <laughs> but you came back. That goes against that particular story beat. Ah, the Emperor. Ah. <laughs> Plus, I brought the Snokes. Look at all, I got all these Snokes. <laughs> Mentholated. Yeah. I mean, plus you've got all of the, like complete star wars guides to whatever and there are like 50 of these books that are just like oh something was mentioned literally once in one book here's an entire page explaining it i mean there's very little mystery to the galaxy at this point yeah we talked about that in the last bonus content because i decided to cover ulrashan and his species and you think that, that that minor character from this story just some bodyguard in the employee of the bad guy uh who's described as a lizardy looking dude and then they just left it at that in, in a 1979 book that he would just be a one-off and they would never bother him again no he has a whole convoluted species they're called the tishar and they're velociraptors who wear fancy clothes and and uh every one of them has a name like Ulrishans, and the vader was nice to them once and blah 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 yeah it's i think that's really gonna be the main issue with a lot of other books and things in Star Wars is that when you first like encountered Star Wars, say as a kid, and you see all of these like aliens, and the Jedi and the space fighting and everything, it originally feels very cool because it seems very novel. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a bunch of stuff I haven't seen before. That's great. But it's become so saturated and so overexplained at this point that you're like, I can't. There's no wonder left in this galaxy for me. Yeah, I think about how they're planning to put uh, Ahsoka Tano from the Clone Wars cartoon into the Mandalorian show, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think about how that series ended, you know, immediately post Clone Wars, and she's still kind of at large in the galaxy, and. I saw people talking about it, and they were like, well, obviously, she's still kicking around. Ta Gruten's lived to be, like, 500 years old. And and I was like, oh, how do we know that? I don't want to hmm. know that. Yeah, it's, she, just, she's the only... it's just a lot of information out there. 
she's the only Togruton that matters. I know there was one in like the Senate or whatever, but but she's the one that's relevant. Can we not? Do we have to go over the details of her whole entire species, or could she just be a story character? Nope. Yeah. Okay. Well, in any event, I did ver- I did greatly enjoy this book overall. I am I, I actually am, have been thinking about going through and reading the next two. I even pitched it to you as like, hey, let's just keep reading these, huh? No. Because it would be good. really it would be really easy for me because right now books take forever to ship. Nope. Never. <laughs> well, it's okay, John, because I have wound up a pair of doozies as our next books for you, and you don't even know about the second one yet. Ooh, a delicious pair. Oh yeah. No, it's a twisted pair. Uh which I I realize now you probably don't know that that's a joke of some kind. Oh. You see, Twisted Pair is the most recent and most crazy of the Neil Breen movies. Oh, I know. He's two characters in it. Oh, I know. It's the Neil Breen movie where he discovered green screen. <laughs> oh, please. He discovered that pr- prior to that. He just It's the one where he uses it to its maximum effect. Don't forget <laughs> about the, ep- the episode where he meets a tiger. <laughs> it has a heart-to-heart with a tiger, even though the camera of the t- feet of the tiger that he's using is panning while he is not. <laughs> Oh, I love filmmakers. Uh, Okay, so do you want to get into some questions from listeners, or how do you want to do this? I mean, yeah, sure, we can. Yeah, why not? Let's get into some questions from listeners. I've got a list here. Yeah, why not indeed? I mean, this might be a shorter episode, but whatever. It was a half-size book. Yeah, half-size book, half-size roundup, full-size nachos. Plus, I put out a whole bonus episode yesterday out of nowhere. Nowhere. Everything's fine. Day before yesterday, diegetically speaking, in regards to when this episode will go live. Okay, I have a question here from, uh, let's do, let's just do the first one, from King Calamari. Uh, all right, you guys have done enough of these now that I can ask this. If you had to rank all the EU novels you featured on the podcast from the most to the least enjoyable, what would the list look like? It would look like a list of the names of, of Star Wars books. <laughs> I mean, mostly look like text, I would assume. <laughs> probably black on a white background 12 point aerial in google drive and i am uh, not a fan of numbered lists so i'd probably do the one that's the dots dots mm-hmm. dots 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 everybody <laughs> all right let's do serious answer though how from best to worst i feel like the top two are pretty easy because they're the ones that have the least connection to continuity oh it's yeah the, the, zom- two, the two best are red harvest and star's end yeah, the zombie book and this book. They're they're good. They're fun. Uh, I don't know what order I'd put them in. I really enjoyed this read, so I might put this at the top. I probably would as well. I mean, it's yeah. it's better because it's a little more focused, but I do like both of them. At the very bottom end of the scale, on the other hand, I am torn between Shadows of the Empire for being impossibly rapey uh, and Planet of Twilight for being the most boring thing there has ever been. Man, I don't know, because Crystal Star was, man, it was rough. I mean, Crystal Star sucked, but it definitely gave me a bunch of interesting shit to make fun of. With Planet of Twilight, I was just like, yeah, we get it. The bugs are the bad guys, and the bad guy's a bug. There's some huts or whatever. Who? Ca- c- good Lord, meet each other. <laughs> also, it turns, it, it gives Luke the worst characterization. Oh, yeah, no, I mean... It's really difficult to find the metric to put the worst one in there because you're like, do I do it off of courtship because we character assassinate the worst in that one? Oh, that's right. That is the worst treatment of Leia and Han. Yeah, just absolutely awful treatment of your main characters in that book. 
On the other hand, interesting villains and so on. Gethzerion was kind of neat. Zinj was just a fat distraction. It was there. There were some things in there that I didn't necessarily hate. Uh, whereas Shadows of the Empire had almost definitely the worst villain we've ever seen. <laughs> but a very memeable villain. Like he was very easy to make an episode about. Yes. So I don't know. I, I think I, I think I'll go ahead and throw Planet of Twilight up at the top. Honestly. You mean at the bottom? The bottom of the list? Yeah, the, the top, top of, of the bottom. The top of the bottom. Okay. Because it, I mean, like you said, there was just this inconsolable thing for me where I'm like, I just want you to meet. Just get, just get together. Just, for the love of God, intersect these stories. Yeah, you keep thinking that Han story is going to connect in some way. And meanwhile, 3PO and R2 are having... They, the author has to introduce a bunch of weird new droid rules to make R2 and 3PO's story make any sense at all. Yeah, the whole thing was just, it was too many different stories that did not matter to each other. Yeah, there was a point in that book where I halfway expected it to just be like, let's check in with Lando. I mean, fuck it, right? <laughs> I mean, right? What's he mining? <laughs> His own uh-huh. business. <laughs> I'm over here minding my own business. And then it just, that's okay. We're good. Thanks. Thanks, Lando. We'll catch up with you another day. Uh, yeah, that I, I would say that was the most boring and therefore to me the worst. Yes. Uh, after that, I would say second worst is shadows. Uh, the dash Rendar has way too much cultural cachet for the complete dump of a character. He turns out to be, <laughs> and she's or she's or sucks. <laughs> no, Shizor's great. I mean, he's awful, but he's great. <laughs> I like that part where he martial arts to that dude just to show <laughs> that he knows how to martial arts. Normally, I don't do this, but now, martial arts! I feel like he started everything he did with, normally, I don't do this, but I'll indulge myself. Ooh, just this once. You're so bad. <laughs> I mean, that's the characterization that Shizor has, really, is the kind of person who's like, normally I wouldn't drink white wine at 3 p.m. on a Wednesday, but it's the times. (laughs) Treat yourself, I always say. (laughs) Yeah, uh, and then in the middle, the books that have gone largely unmentioned, like uh, Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina. Yeah, Tales is definitely the most middle road for me. Yeah, it's like the exact average. It was easy to to, to review... Uh, but it wasn't, and it couldn't be super bad because it just didn't have the time to get super bad. Yeah, I mean, you had some bad stories in there and some decent ones. It was just like, all right, this is a toss-up. It's all right. And what was this, season 10 or something? Which means we've done more books. I mean, okay, third best is probably the Star Trek X-Men one because that just reads like an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Hmm? Hmm? What do you think? Uh, I don't know, man. Planet X... <laughs> uh, it kind of sucked all right it kind of sucked like it was kind of bad <laughs> it, it hit the point where when it ended you were like wait seriously and that and that's it you're just gonna well all right i mean it really matched the structure of an old tng episode where maybe the stakes didn't get so high maybe this was one of the ones that's about character development <laughs> uh what is wrong with you <laughs> uh okay so, I don't know. At that point, I kind of get lost on what books we have and haven't covered at this point, but we can give you our top three and our bottom three, which we just did. So, there you have it. Yeah. Uh, I've got the next question. You want me to just do them, John, or do you have the questions up, too? I mean, I've got the questions up, but I don't give a shit. All right. We'll do this one from Lobster J, then. 
Uh, Solo is mainly a gunslinger here. If you were to have to choose an often overlooked skill to be highlighted from the other main characters, so for example, Lando wasn't always a mining guy, what would they be? I mean, it would be interesting to see some other stuff from other people. They occasionally lean into Leia's political background. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we never really get much from anyone else. It's not like luke's farming background ever really comes into play that would be pretty impressive if there was an episode or a book where he his knowledge of the binary language of moisture evaporators or whatever came in handy or like oh uh he gets stuck on a desert planet that isn't tatooine and he knows how to survive because he spent so much time on a desert planet that would actually be super interesting if there was an episode of luke desert survivalist yeah maybe there is a book like that i haven't seen it I mean, there's a lot of fucking books. Granted, we've read one where he goes to what is essentially a desert planet, because that's what Planet of Twilight more or less was. It was a dry, empty planet. (laughs) Yeah, but it wasn't a desert planet. That is true. That is true. It was a crystal planet. A bug planet. (laughs) It was also a bug planet. I have a little bit of inside knowledge about a few other books we haven't read yet, so one of the things that's always disappointed me is when Lando meets his bride, uh, Tendril, or whatever his na- her name is, uh, she is, basically, she, like, sends out a digital, she, like, basically is a dating website, and the two of them meet and start doing contract negotiation over getting married, uh, <laughs> like, online. Like, he basically is a chat room Lothario. Ah. And I've always felt like that is something that it wasted lando as because the one thing he's got going besides being a mining administrator is that dude smooth yeah and and i would love to have seen a story about that dude being smooth (laughs) i mean it's true every time we've seen lando in these books he's mostly just been like oh i'm only gonna interact with like han and leia and whatnot i'm never gonna be shown being like uh charismatic talking to other people making deals doing things he's always just like oh i'm here to facilitate whatever dumb garbage nonsense you guys want yeah there's a book out there that i'm a big fan of and i think the rest of the book is trash i think it's part of the black fleet crisis series but i'm not sure uh where lando is assigned by the republic to go investigate reports of a ghost ship popping up in in one part of the galaxy or another and he borrows 3po and and r2 and brings Lobot with him and the four of them are solving an ancient archaeological puzzle in a hollowed out organic spaceship that's got nothing in it but like a couple of buttons see now that's great it's neat it's interesting because it gives him a puzzle solving character element uh, that you never would have expected from him normally the only things he's good at are owning big facilities that are outlandish and knowing about Sabic rules But the best Lando books, because it's that and then the Lando trilogy, are about him being kind of an archaeologist puzzle solver, which I don't even know where that came from, but I love it. (laughs) And Leia, yeah, I mean, the problem with Leia is they do try to focus on all of her character beats, and they're bad at it. Yeah, that's the problem. They're like, oh, we should say that she's an ambassador, but they don't know how to do that well, so it ends up just (laughs) being like, oh, you're bad at this. Yeah, she either comes off as, I'm in love with every boy, or I'm the most entitled person you've ever met. Yeah, it's it's not good. Yeah, they, they, they care in Leia really hard. 
Like mm. the, every time they're like, she's a master ambassador. And that's why she's being so mean to this werewolf guy. <laughs> and I'm like, you guys missed the point. She's not a very good ambassador. She just seems mean. Huh. <laughs> uh, why don't you do one? All right. So, I mean, this is basically kind of tying into one that we already answered, but out of all the books you've read for Expounded Universe, which antagonist was the best and which was the worst? Uh, okay, so I'm going to go ahead and say the worst antagonist is, and it does say including Planet X there, which is perfect because I was going to say it's those pointless fat flap aliens from Planet X. We get nothing about them they're, yeah, and the, they're not interesting. <laughs> the weird thing for me is I was actually thinking about Planet X and I was mm -hmm. going, okay, but who who's the main antagonist there? Is it? Is it Earthcraft mutant or is it the aliens? I guess it's both. I mean, Earthcraft mutant is kind of interesting and impressive. He's like dirt Magneto, but he gets dispensed with far too easily. So either way, they're, it's bad antagonists. Oh, yeah, because both of them is like, oh, we set up this guy to be dirt Magneto and he's leading an entire mutant revolution. And then Storm just comes up and clowns on him real quick in like half of a chapter. And meanwhile, there's this alien warrior culture of fat flap dragons or whatever the fuck they are, and everyone's just murdering them indiscriminately. I mean, K Kitty Pride is just making them fall down. Yeah. And as well, they're like, oh, they have this ship and even one shot will almost cripple us. Anyway, we're going to fly around them for the next three hours. <laughs> Plus commercial breaks. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> man, it's bad. I mean, they were just pathetic. I, otherwise, I don't know. Who would be the worst villain in a Star Wars book that we've come across so far? The Kreft brothers are, I mean, just universally stupid and awful. There was no point where I was like, these guys are threatening. They aren't even as kind of funny to read about as, as Shizor. They were just bad. Oh, yeah. They were... <laughs> I think it was doubly so because the book kept trying to tell you that they're so smart. Mm -hmm. They're like every single opportunity. The book was like, "Ooh, the Krefs know everything, and they're always five steps ahead." Except every time you got anything from their perspective, they're like, oh, "I don't know what I'm doing. Let's blow up the ocean." <laughs> I'm mad about a girl. Yeah, it was just so awful to have what should be your big brain Lex Luthor type villains where you're like, oh, they don't have, you know, Jedi powers, but they're so smart. And it just ends up being like, oh, one of them is just super horny slash angry all the time. And the other one just seems to not give a shit about anything. Yeah, it's like they took a reasonable villain and split him into his horny side, and his apathetic side. I mean, it's they're they're terrible and as long as we're on the topic of horny aliens who are trying to bang leia can we talk and we we rope in Shizor on the same thing how come uh you know what i'm gonna say it's it's always bad in villains if they have an exotic predilection towards human women uh, it just comes out creepy every time yeah so Shizor is also i mean he's the best worst villain yo yeah because he's awful but he's <laughs> he's ridiculous and awful Yes. Yeah, he's awful, ostentatious, gaudy. He's just he's just horrible. Uh and, and I kind of put Hethrier in that same category of like this guy's just too much. Like when when you really size up what Hethrier is, you're like, "Oh, he's the only alien species guy to get a high-ranking planet job 
And also he has his own planet and he has three color hair and three color eyes. And he's a sexy kind of a cat guy who uh, hates his son. And it's just, it just goes on. There's like so many character beats for him and all of them add up to just a dope. Yeah. Uh, the best villain I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, I'm going to throw two down here. One of them is Geth Zirion. I mean, Geth Zirion is probably the most capable one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She knows exactly what she's doing. She's threatening. She actually has an interesting plan and a motive and everything. So Gethzerion makes a lot of sense to me as one of the villains. Uh, what's his name? Darth Scabrus or whatever, the zombie one I appreciate because he's true to form. Oh, yeah. He's just <laughs> downfall hubris, man. He introduces himself and he's just like, hey, here's the arc. Let's just do the arc. I don't, I, I don't need to introduce a bunch more shit about myself. Let's just do the arc. Hmm. So that guy I liked. And then I'm going to say Lieutenant Alima is way okay. up there for me as a villain. I don't know if you remember who that is, John. Uh, no. Lieutenant Alima was the villain in the Moma Nadon chapter of Star uh, of uh, Mos Eisley Cantina. He was the one who had previously been a captain and had like forcibly oh, touched yeah. down on the home world and everything. And when he shows up, they're like, how are you a lieutenant now? And he's like, you know how fast captains get killed in Vader's army? I would be an idiot to stay a captain. And I was like, oh, I get that. I, I get that. Good, good good, on you, dude. You're still killed by dumb Empire genre conventions, but still. Yeah, but, you know, at least you were thinking. Yeah, the guy had a thought, and that's a rarity among these weirdo villains. All right, let's do uh, another one about every book. Kazurkin says, how much would the rest of the books you have covered uh, so far be changed if we had this level of Chewbacca instead of, you know, the Wookiee clicker Chewbacca? <laughs> especially shadows of the empire i mean i feel like if chewie had gotten involved and gave a shit in most of these like you wouldn't have even had the book i mean especially like courtship chewie would have just slapped han and been like no yeah the moment han was like here's my plan chewie i'm gonna use a mind control gun to kidnap the princess and you're gonna help me stuff her in an airtight locker room and he would have been like uh i renounce my life debt and i am going to hit you I mean, at that point, he's like, hey, 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 don't be an idiot. Hey, hey, come with me. Buddy, you don't need to do this. You need a teddy bar. <laughs> My dude, let's, oof, let's just have a buddy's weekend. Let's get you, let's get your head on straight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would have, courtship, you're right, would have ended pretty much right then and there. Uh, Empire, I, Empire, I feel like one is one of the ones where Chewbacca has the most agency. He's just sort of getting bullied around by leia a lot but ultimately he is pivotal he's the one who pops up and snaps leia out of her stupid pheromone haze yeah no he actually did something there i think I mean, if planet he had been, of twilight wouldn't have been super different it wouldn't have changed at all because he was just sort of hanging out with han doing nothing yeah he just found that ship full of melted people that was pretty much his only job in that the other thing in shadows i feel is he would have not hung around on rhodia that long when they were just like waiting because leia's plan was like i'll go to a casino planet and try to meet mobsters <laughs> and i think chewbacca would have been like that's dumb that's real stupid you know honestly you and han I mean, well i know it's shadow so han's not available but but Lando probably knows more mobsters than just you would learn from hanging around in a casino for three days. Yeah, you could just, you know, ask. <laughs> I mean, granted, technically the Rebellion is a criminal organization. There's probably a lot of smugglers and criminals and stuff in it. Why don't you use your existing pool of resources for this? <laughs> but instead he was like, no, nah, I'm going to play space chess. <laughs> All right, you guys have fun. 
<laughs> he was just uh, yeah. handing them each a roll of quarters. All right, you kids have fun. I'll meet you over by the ball pit in an hour. Ultimately, most of the books would... I feel like if Chewbacca had a lot more agency, he would just leave Leia. He would just leave her to whatever she's doing. Because it's the same thing in uh, Planet or Crystal Star, where he's just sort of hanging out while she yells at him. And then yeah. she like makes him change his fur color so they can meet a slimy alien. At at certain point, he'd be like, "I'm gonna go find Han because this is a whatever we're doing is a huge waste of time." <laughs> uh. So there you go. Yeah, there you have it. Uh, from Razor Girl Sydney, with Star's End having the advantage of not being burdened by other staple Star Wars conventions, what other stories could be told in the Star Wars universe? See, and that's why I was so intrigued by the uh, the Lando thing you were talking about, about the whole, like, archaeology excavation thing. Oh, yeah. Because that's, that's such a interesting, good angle to take when you're talking about, like, this is a galaxy that has had space-faring people for, like, 100,000 years, and you could have these, like cool space indiana jones adventures and you could do things that are like okay yeah we normally get like space fantasy as your baseline star wars but you can have your space westerns like star's end is more along that line oh yeah absolutely uh, and i feel know, like there's a lot of other genres pulp. yeah a hard sci-fi would be the funniest thing to do in star wars oh yeah you're like someone's gotta sit there and be like all right i have to explain exactly what a lightsaber is and does. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I feel like there's a lot of other interesting stories that you could tell in Star Wars. Um, a lot of these are going to tie in with the next question, too. Uh, one of the things that made this book interesting was that it was not about Force users. Well, yeah, so little of the galaxy, especially from original trilogy on, is Force using mm -hmm. that you're like, there should barely be any of this. Yeah. Especially if you're not telling a story about, like, Luke. And I know I've said this a million times, and one of these days we're going to cover the books, but the old Lando trilogy where he meets a bizarre alien, and then they just go into archaeology adventures until it turns out the bizarre alien is even more bizarre than he thought. The end. Those, hmm. and, oh, and the villain is a sorcerer. Ah. Not, not a Sith, a sorcerer. A wizard who casts spells. Good. That's what I want out of Star Wars, is the villain to be a sorceress dude who turns out to actually be a little tiny frog hmm. i mean it'd be interesting if there were some other like avenues to power that weren't just the force as well i mean i'm not saying you need a wizard <laughs> yeah but you get one roker gepta the sorcerer of tuned hmm? uh but no they're there they've made intimations that way before but 99 percent of the time what happens is they'll make that intimation they'll suggest this character has some kind of power, but it's not the force power. And then the next author comes along and it's like, yeah, it's the force. It was, it was the force all along. He had a lot of midichlorians. Don't even worry about it. No one is allowed to not have the force if they're weird. <laughs> I know there was a whole book that was like, what if Luke ever learned about his mom? She was like a middle of the road healing and illusionist Jedi. Yeah, obviously she was some kind of order of the yellow Jedis or something. Uh, that, that, I mean, that kind of thing all uh, was interesting, but ultimately it was still just more Jedi stories. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we could do a lot more animal stuff in Star Wars and have it be fun. I would love to read a book about a character who just tames animals in Star Wars. 
So what you're saying is you want Jason Solo, but without the Force powers. Exactly. I felt like he had too many things layered on. Well, I mean, that's that's the problem with basically any original character to the Star Wars uh, genre is they're like, well, we've got to make him an established character plus stuff. You can't just be a Jedi now. We already have a Jedi. So now you have to be a, a Jedi master engineer? <laughs> Yeah, you use your force primarily for yelling really loud. <laughs> a character who already exists. Uh, anyway, that, that also does lead into the next question from Hit the Targets, was how does it feel reading a Star Wars story with no force stuff at all? I mean, it's great. It, yeah. I love it. And, and Because it, you never have the point where you're like, but why don't you just force this problem? They go on to ask here, like, is that part of why the crew relied on droids more heavily? And I feel like, honestly, that's just a good thing. That normally 3PO and R2 tend to be along in these stories for comic relief, and that's it. And it was nice to have Bollocks and Blue Backs be like, no, we're actually credible, useful, contributing members of this crew. Yeah, I mean, there are, you know, multiple situations where both of them are able to save the day. And that happens inside of 11 chapters of a book. So a lot of it's just being condensed really worked in this book's favor. Yeah. But I mean, I will say that being able to show that you can be like a big hero without having to be a Jedi or like even one of the main characters is really nice in this. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like uh, every single character that they introduce has at least one moment of being a hero. Yeah, except for Torm, but that's because Torm's not a hero. He's a traitorous piece of shit. Exactly. Yeah. Villains get to do villainous stuff. We get to learn that Hurricane hates his wife, and then we learn that his that his wife hates him right back. Exactly. So, uh, it, yeah, I just I, the, whether or not this book had the force wasn't as important to me as the fact that it was well written so as to let everybody get a chance to shine. I feel like that's possible to do with a force character in the mix, and that normally these books just don't even try. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things where like. Okay, if you've got a party and it's like four regular dudes and a wizard and you come up against a problem and you're like, but why isn't the wizard just magicking the problem away? It's the same thing with the force where you're like, oh, no, we're up against a thing. Okay, why don't you just, I don't know, throw a boulder at it? Uh, because there's lizards and they make me not use the force. <laughs> oh, he's Solomiri. <laughs> Uh, they really do kind of cheapen the Thrawn legacy when you boil it down. It's he, he's like he's this absolute master genius, uh, and he's the only person out there who can defeat Jedi. How? Oh, he knows about a species of fur lizard that, that makes him immune to them. Yeah, he's, he just he just found some lizards <laughs> uh, from Defiance Industries. What other kind of dedicated room should Han Solo have on the Falcon now that we know he has a traitor finding room? First of all, he doesn't have a traitor finding room. He has an accusing parlor. <laughs> he, I mean, he, he uses it to find traitors, but yeah, that's but, not its only purpose. But it's it's really, it's an accusing parlor. He can do all kinds of accusing in the accusing parlor. <laughs> uh, I mean, ultimately, we already know the Falcon also has a cape deck, so that's, uh, I, I feel like that's really useful. What else should Han have in there, though? I mean, obviously, he's got to have a hot tub. Okay, I can see that. He's definitely got a hot tub. Do you think it's like zero gravity, like it's some part of the ship where the gravity's turned off, so you like just get into a big ball of water? Oh, sure. Okay. And then you play Blitzball. <laughs> yeah. He's a huge fan of the Xanarkand Abes. 
Uh, okay. And of course, uh, Chewbacca not allowed in there because he just comes out smelling like wet dog. I just assume that Chewbacca has a room with like a water-cooled computer rig in it so he can play his games. Ah! Yeah, Chewbacca, Chewbacca's room, you walk in there and it is just this flickering a rainbow of color that is coming off of his tower and keyboard and yeah, his five monitors. Everything lights up in a million different colors and he's got a bunch of alienware stickers all over everything. <laughs> Uh, just constantly playing Fortnite, Chewbacca. Oh, he has like six different types of controllers depending on what game he is playing as well. Yeah, and every one of them has sponsored him because he is just locked in. He is, he's a pro at every level. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have, I think we have two more here. Uh, why is This one's from Agent Wiggles, and it's, uh, why aren't there more novels like this? Yes, canon is an issue to a point, but a lot of EU novels introduce new things to it regardless. It just feels like they're afraid of or not allowed to tell a well-paced story. Do they have to hit a particular word count? I can tell you, as a person who has written two books now, yes. Uh, was, hmm. Luke, was LucasArts, the literary division, just that draconic? And I can tell you, as someone who has studied the history of this, this uh, series of books, yes. Uh, and is it a combination of the above? Yes. <laughs> yeah, the problem is... You know, when you have such an established canon, you're not allowed to introduce something that would disrupt it. And when you can't disrupt anything, it means the stakes are never super high. I am curious to see if they, if this book would have passed muster during the heyday of the EU. Like, if this book hadn't been written in 1979, but rather in 1996, what changes would they have forced onto it? Ah, uh, I mean, that's, it's an interesting question. They probably would have been like, you have to at least mention a few of the aliens by species name rather than just saying there's a bunch of weird aliens here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they would have forced a Jedi into the story, but I feel like they would have made more than the one reference to them that was in there. Eh, maybe. Uh, they probably would have wanted a few more continuity things like, oh, we need to cover the fact that Han did the Kessel Run or whatever. I mean, I assume what it would be is we need to reference more things that people know. So one, alien names. Two, probably planet names. Like you start with him like, oh, and he was leaving from Alderaan, which was absolutely lovely, lovely and he hopes nothing happens to it. <laughs> That's a planet that sure is still in one piece, he thought to himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't know why I thought that. I mean, uh, Also, the Empire would have probably had to have a prominent role as opposed to introducing the corporate sector authority. Yeah, the corporate sector <laughs> is one of those things that if it was written during the standard Legends era, then it definitely would have felt more like the other kind of antagonist things we've seen, like Hethrir or whatever, mm -hmm. where it, it had to be much more self-contained, much more uh, limited in what they could do. And cacklingly because, evil. Oh, yeah. Because you couldn't have a thing where it was like, what is this? Oh, it's an entire section of the galaxy that the Empire has no control over, and they can rival the power of the Empire. You're like, no, that's not allowed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I mean, ultimately, that's not even the question we were asked, but I do feel like it's an interesting one to go into, is like, could Brian Daly have written... Here's another piece you could enter into that puzzle. Around the mid-90s to the 2000s, someone wrote a different Han Solo trilogy. Yes, a bad one. Mm -hmm. I, and people routinely tell us that it is bad uh, because I keep saying that there's a good Han Solo trilogy. And I, I guess most people think of the bad one that was written in the 90s and not the good one written in the 70s. 
Yeah. I get that. I understand. I found my cop. This is the book that brought me into Star Wars Expanded Universe reading because I found it in a used bookstore. And I was like, holy shit, there's more Star Wars stuff I could read? Hmm. Uh, okay, so we have a question here from Abby Pringles. I just want to acknowledge it. There's not much I can do with it because it's a would you wear this shirt and it's a picture of Trioculus. Know that I definitely would. Yeah, me too. Although it's, I can't do much more than describe that it's a picture of Trioculus. But keep that in mind, uh, and then let's go on to the last question of the day from uh, Moosenstein, uh, who asks, what's your pitch for a Bollocks and Blue Max movie? Okay, so if we're doing a Bollocks and Blue Max movie, mm -hmm. obviously this is an Ocean's Eleven scenario. <laughs> you son the, of a the bitch, two of them are, Yeah, <laughs> the two of them are getting the crew together, you've already got your hacker slash idea man and your, like schmoozy knows how to talk to people guy mm -hmm. and they have to go get the rest of the crew and the whole crew is droids oh yeah yeah give me an entire droid crew we need a droid who's an acrobat okay boss let's go find him oh yeah you just find some like weird spindly droid that's like oh yeah this was made to like get into weird tight compartments on ships but it means that he can fold himself up into like the size of a tiny cube <laughs> But boss, I'm a tiny cube. Yeah, but he can unfold Blue Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're stuck as a tiny cube. You're the idea man. Now Look, we really we need you over here getting into the computer system so that you can loop the security feed so that while our Jingo droid goes in. One thing we definitely need to put this plan together is a wild card. I need a droid who can kind of awkwardly shuffle back and forth in one spot and say gonk. <laughs> I think I might know a guy. <laughs> it's all coming together. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I'm gonk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I could definitely. I want to see an Ocean's Eleven all droids. That is, that is awesome. Oh, yeah. Give me the droid heist movie, and they are just stealing a bunch of, like, AI improvement things. Mm-hmm. That they're like, oh, yeah, we're just going to pirate this and give it out to whoever wants it. And 3PO is the distraction because he's all C-3PO. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to be the one that goes into the casino and it's like, oh, let me speak to the manager. Ooh, oh, I, I, I think I've been, been damaged in some way. I require a free oil bath. And meanwhile, like the other people are doing work. Oh, yeah. Now he goes in there and he's like accidentally hits into some guy and makes him drop a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, oh my, I'm so sorry. Allow me to clean that for you. <laughs> he probably doesn't even know he's in on the heist. <laughs> They're just like, hey, 3PO, can you just go in there and just be yourself? You son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's all the questions that we've got. So thank you so much for sending in your questions. Uh, John, as you know, there's only one way we can end an episode of uh, a wrap-up episode of Expounded Universe. That is true. And that is by giving people a little taste of the book to come. Uh, so let me go ahead and just read you the back of the book. All right, it's time for a foretaste of the book to come. Mm -hmm. And these, I, I bought two copies of this and brought one to your house. Your, yours might have different information on the back than mine did, because it's they're two different print runs, and they look very different. Uh, here we go. The Death Star has been destroyed. The Empire is in ruins. But the dark side lives on. Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, and the Rebel Alliance have fought valiantly against the evil Galactic Empire. Together... They have kept alive the hopes for freedom 
and helped restore the ways of the Old Republic with its wise Senate and noble line of Jedi Knights. But now, a new threat awaits the Alliance. Rob Schneider... (laughs) Rob Schneider is... The Empire. Within the evil Empire, the surviving Imperial warlords have been fighting amongst themselves for power. No one knows who will seize control, but the prophets of the Dark Side have foretold that soon a new Emperor will arise, and on his right hand he shall wear an indestructible symbol of evil, the Glove of Darth Vader. And, I mean, uh, wouldn't that have been burned, like, Well, no, obviously. You know, when, when he was like, I want to look on you with my own eyes one time. Remove my helmet. Also, toss my glove over in the corner. <laughs> Take off my glove. Throw it into a life raft or something. <laughs> I want to grope on you with my own hand. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what's... I mean what happened to the glove of Vader specifically, but this is the glove of but Darth we're Vader. we're going to find out. Uh, and this is going to be our first foray into Star Wars young adult fiction. Uh, oh my God. And this book has pictures and not just pictures. I might add, but picture the, the picture of Trioculus that's on that shirt that Abby Pringle sent us a picture of. I know. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God, it's the picture. It's Trioculus. <laughs> it's the Trioculus. The, So this is part of the beginning of, I I think, I'm not sure, I think this might be the first book in the Galaxy of Fear series. If it's not, then it's a different young adult series. I'm fairly certain the next book in this series is even funnier. It's called Mission from Mount Yoda. But uh, just to be clear, this book is, my copy, large print, big margins, 90 pages long, and that includes a cast of characters at the end that takes up like six pages. This is a little tiny guy. We're probably going to wrap through this in like two episodes. Oh, yeah. This is just sort of our our little interstitial between. Uh, it's a quarantine our, treat. Yeah, it's it's we had a, a short season last time, so we're just going to give you a little treat. This isn't even like a season. This is just sort of some fun. Uh, yeah, there's going to be all kinds of great stuff in this. I can tell you right away that this is a book mostly about space whales. <laughs> so stick around. It's going to be super exciting. Uh after that, we do have another book coming your way, uh, which I don't think we're going to bother with a wrap-up for this book, because it would be like half as long as the episodes about the book is anyway. Yeah. So at the end of this series, we'll announce the next book, and I'm excited because John shot down a proposal of mine that, granted, was very outlandish, and I have rewar- uh, rewarded that shooting down with just intolerable cruelty. Good. Intolerable cruelty. I'm going to make us watch and review Intolerable Cruelty. <laughs> I'm kidding. I have a book ready that is just bad. So be ready for that to come sometime sooner. But until then, line up, because it's time to talk about Trioculus and the Glove of Darth Vader next. So uh, you think we should still do some bonus content? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, let's go do some bonus content. As always, if you want to get in on that bonus content action, all you got to do is join us at the $2 level. Uh, That'll be patreon.com slash systemmastery. The $2 level unlocks all the Star Wars episodes. There's four bonus episodes of Star Wars in a regular month. And it also unlocks two System Mastery bonus episodes in a regular month, too. So it's a lot of content for your $2. Yes, indeedy. Uh, We like to give you a big old bowl of content every morning. All we do is produce. It's all we know how to do anymore. That's right. We're like dairy cows. (laughs) Except that our milk is humor. 
gross. Okay, so thank you so much. We'll see you in that bonus content. Until then, I've been Elan Sleaze Boggiano. And I love wearing this glove. Thank you.